And I want to say thanks uh, to Pastor Brennan for leading us in these uh, opening messages on this uh, series on Gospel Essentials. Um, some excellent uh, help for each and every one of us. Today, um, well, I tell you what, let's just start like this. I know all of us have these challenges in our lives when um, we realize that we've allowed something to grow too familiar. It can happen. I'm so thankful for um, the marriage class that is going on for Thursday nights. Um, some good good things happening there. And thank the Lord for Bob and Chris leading it. Um, but that's an example, that's an area where there's an example for us on uh, familiarity breeds content. Familiarity uh, can also breed complacency. You know, there's, there's a thing with familiarity. It, it's nice to be familiar with things and have confidence in things. However, in many ways of life, in my life I know, familiarity can, oh yeah, oh well, whatever kind of attitude that comes forth with familiarity. And listen, my friend, that's what happens with this term salvation. If you are one who attends church on a regular basis and the 90% of you do, <laughs> you're, you're here on a regular basis and the, the term salvation can be one of those things that we're just really familiar with. Oh yeah, I got that. No sweat, no problem. You know, um, think of it when, I, I remember when our kids were little and, and um, you know, like any family, you're dealing with your kids and things are getting, it seems like things are getting more complicated. And then, and then grandma and grandpa show up and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'll do whatever they say. You know, there's an attitude change and a, and a actions change and, and why? It's like... Uh, Oh, we're familiar with mom and dad kind of thing. You know, the same thing happens like with Christmas, right? Or some, maybe it's anniversaries or birthdays. We, oh, I just kind of forgot about it. I don't know. It's like appreciation for these things uh, can shrink or decrease. And we never want that to happen in regards to this most important thing is salvation. And it, it, it does happen. We, we, we can have it happen unless we're letting the Word of God wash through our minds, right? And that's the idea in Ephesians 5, that the Word of God would wash, you know, what's, what's inside, wash it away. We need that. And we need God's Word to, uh, heighten our love. That's what it's really about, our, heighten our love for Him. So, there's a, Another um, quote that I have here, and I don't have the, the person's name, but marriage, for instance, must incessantly contend with a monster that devours everything. Familiarity. That's, that's, it can happen in marriage. And this is what often happens in churches regarding things like salvation, things like faith, things like grace. And why does that matter? 
Well, the thing is, if, if we lose our appreciation for it, that's showing an evidence of what's going on in my heart or your heart. And that is, my heart's grown cold. Uh, or, it, you know, we say it gets hard, uh, hardened hearts. Listen, that's not what we want. You know, we, we talked about what is revival. And here's the idea of breaking up fallow ground. Where do you break up fallow ground? It's not in Monty's garden. It's in your heart. That's the idea behind Hosea 10.12. You break up the fallow ground in your heart. Thus, we want to maintain a high level, not a low level, a high level regarding salvation and grace and faith and those things that surround that. Those are the things we want to lift up. We want to lift up Jesus Christ. So, that's what we're about. We, we don't want our hearts to grow cold or our hearts to go hard, our love to grow cold, whatever. We, we want to be soft-hearted and ready to learn more about this. And so, we want to start by looking at the claims of Jesus. Now, this is a, this is a challenging uh, topic to preach on. Salvation. You know, uh, you want to stay here for two days? Really, I mean, that's the idea behind the term salvation. So what my uh, task to do here is to come bring it down to what we can grab at right now. And so Luke chapter 4, I want to start right there. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. This is following the temptation of Jesus in, in this sequence with Luke. In Luke chapter 4 starting at verse 16. Follow along, please. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah, time out, Isaiah, Old Testament salvation theme, right? Old Testament salvation theme. He took out the book of Isaiah. It was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if we would have had a video camera recording that, those who understood the scriptures had their jaws fall down to the floor. Boom. What? You know what he's saying? You're, you're whispering to your neighbor. You know what he's saying? I'm the Messiah. I came to do what? Save you. That's what his name means. Jesus, Matthew 1.21. You shall call his name 
Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so he's following through with who he is, the very nature, essence, and character of his whole life. He understands it. And he makes the claim here from Scripture, saying, I'm, I'm the Savior. But listen, starting with your, um, in your outline, if you want to follow along with that, we got um, a, a current, a flood of thought. And number one, salvation according to popular opinion. I couldn't help but think of that game show. Survey says, boom, 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 boom. Here's all the things that people say what salvation means. And uh, typically our culture just simply removes God from the scene, removes God from the discussion and the conversation. Hey, we can fix it ourselves. We're just like the the society that started building up the Tower of Babel. (laughs) We're going to do this on our own. That's what the culture would say. It gets back to even what DeLacy was mentioning. Here's a culture that would say, hey, go get an abortion. Hey, you got your rights. You do what you want. There's no one accountable here. You just, you're, you, you just do what you want. And then if we add a little spice of religion to it, the culture will say, well, just do your best. After all, God weighs out the good from the bad and he'll see how good you are and, and say, oh, come on into heaven. That's the idea behind what culture says. Well, not even that, but let's add in letter B under number one, churchianity. We are so good at um, watering down the message. We've watered down the message. We don't like some of that condemnation stuff. We don't like listing sin the way the Bible lists sin. We don't, you know, let's not go there. Let's just make it. Oh, it's, isn't it wonderful? And, you know, at the end, God will let you into heaven. Isn't that wonderful? I tell you what, I wish I could take you along and do a funeral of an unsaved person. We have to dream up our own hope. That's what the culture does. And some Christians do that also. We want to make it a happy ending. We're all about Disneyland, right? And they lived happily ever after. And then along with it, churchianity will say things like, well, I I came forward, I walked the aisle, I kneeled at the altar, I did all those right things, right? We're all familiar with that. Familiar? Oh, yeah. I prayed a prayer. Listen, does it, when someone says, I prayed a prayer, does that mean they're a Christian? And in our lingo, we automatically say, oh, yeah, they must be a Christian. Or they made a decision. This has got to be challenged, my friend. We, we got to challenge this. Why? It's like, I can take it and I can put my own meaning behind it. You follow me? I I made a decision at the altar here. I, I kneeled and I made a decision. Okay? Now, let's hope that means that at some point God converted them. 
Let's hope that that's what it means. But a lot of times in in our culture, in Christianity, in churchianity, let's put it that way, we we uh, we have ideas that aren't matching up, aren't lining up, aren't aligned with the Word of God. You wonder what is the matter because I made a decision back at camp when I was a child. You know, many of you did that. You made a decision at VBS or at Awana or in Sunday school. Okay? And you say, well, I don't get it. I, I don't, I'm not sensing, you know, God's work in my life or whatever. And listen, I hate to be the one, but it might be that you're not saved. And this is what we want to help in understanding. I can't just, you know, spend 20, 30 minutes talking about it and all of a sudden fix it all. No, it's something that you need to search out the scriptures and understand it for yourself. Come to understand and ask God to show you. Cry out to God. God, you're the the author of truth. Show me. Speak to my heart in this. Then added on another little side thought of this idea of what churchianity says is a lot of times churchianity can get so caught up in, well, you better do this and you better do this because that shows you're really spiritual. What is that subtly saying? We're emphasizing works over what? Grace. So we got to be careful as a church. We don't want to say, oh, works is what, you know, earns you your, your, your value or your, your security with God. Okay? So don't get caught up thinking that. It's as if we want to teach or, um, churches would say this, well, let's, you, you better do this and, and, and do this and that. As if we need to add something to what Jesus did. And listen, my friend, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. How many times can I say that? Absolutely nothing that you can add to what Jesus did. And yet, how often are you caught in that? Thinking, I better do this to gain God's favor. Is that right thinking according to the Scripture? You have to, you know, be growing in this and understanding more and more of the word to say, no, no, that's not it. Jesus died. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and he paid the price for. Are you sure? Then see, that's what we build on, right? So. We're not wanting to do that. We don't want to, you know, suggest that Jesus didn't really complete the work and then I do the rest of it and God says, hey, what a way to go. That's not it. Not it at all. So, if that's the way it goes, if it's based on what I do or what you do, then in the end, that system of thought you end up, I end up being the deal maker with God. Is that? No, that's not the case. (laughs) This is exactly what Paul addressed in the book of Galatians. We're not going to go there, but Galatians is his emphasis on stay 
true to the one true gospel. Don't get caught up with false gospels. And it's amazing that the word of God is so profound that back when he wrote it, you know, a couple thousand years ago, here's, here's the emphasis that it had for the Galatian churches. And now it still applies as we read it to all the stuff happening in the 21st century. Don't add to what Jesus did. Okay? So number two, salvation according to God's word. Now, let's start with a simple definition of the term. Okay? The idea of salvation is really to get at, to deliver someone. Let's keep it simple, right? To rescue someone. To rescue someone. To, to save or preserve someone. Or even to set them free from the trap they're in. Like you, you see a, um, out, you guys go hunting. You see someone that's caught in a trap. You release that animal or whatever from the trap. All those kind of, it's, it's the idea of rescuing or delivering someone. And letter A, it's to rescue someone from danger. You rescue, you know, that's the idea behind Scripture. And Scripture gives us not just a spiritual definition. It gives us physical examples, social examples, and spiritual examples. Physically, um, salvation, deliverance from despair, or disease, or disaster. That's evident in the Scriptures. Socially, salvation or deliverance from an enemy or from injustices, slavery, Right? You know, we go to the idea of um, the picture of Israel being saved, being delivered from Egypt. Well, that was social and physical deliverance. But what does it do? It points us to spiritual salvation, spiritual deliverance. Okay? Well, spiritually, what is it that we're delivered from? And a lot of times we, we say, well, I'm saved from, and we fill in the blank, I'm saved from myself, or I'm saved from this or that. We need to understand, it, you know, it's, first of all, we're saved from God's wrath. We're saved from God's wrath. God is a God of righteousness and holiness. He's not going to allow sin to go unpunished. If He did, end of story, why be here? If he's going to allow injustice, because that's injustice if he doesn't punish sin, right? Thus, he's not worthy of anyone's worship, but he is, he will, he will come forth with his wrath against sin. He will bring forth justice and righteousness. He will. Okay. So we see it again in this example in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12. By the way, earlier on in Exodus, in uh, the end of chapter 2, it's, you know, here's that God hears the cry of the people. He hears them. And they're in slavery. They're in bondage. God hears and God says, I'm going to bring forth a deliverer. I will deliver. And then very next chapter, chapter 1, here's Moses. And now he's going to call Moses to be the spokesperson. Moses says, I can't speak. So here comes Aaron, his brother. And, and thus the whole procedure, the process of delivering God's people from their bondage, from their slavery. And that's what God did. But you know what? 
it was at a price, wasn't it? That final plague was the price that shows here's here's the Passover. Blood had to be shed. Blood was put on the on the doors, right? And then the the angel of death bringing forth what? Wrath, judgment. The angel of death passes over, and that person is saved. From how are they saved? Because the blood that was put on that that door frame. Okay. There's all sorts of other stories, and it builds, and it builds. Here's, here's the New Testament now, what Jesus just claimed, what we read in Luke chapter 4, and His, his miracles, His teaching. Everything's pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. And in John 3.36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We don't hear that a lot in our day and age, in our culture. They don't want to go there. Um, How could God be a God of wrath? How in the world? God's a God of love. He doesn't punish anyone. And yet that's the message that we see in the Gospel of John, in other places. Um, Romans chapter 5, much more than, having been now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. So, there will be, according to Scripture, there will be a coming outpouring of wrath. And that will happen uh, in God's good timing. Secondly, we're saved from sin, delivered from the danger of sin. And that's why God will pour out wrath because of sin. Um, you and I, we are born sinners. We don't need to get into that a lot. We've talked about that in the past. You're born into sin. You are a sinner. Um, we do live in an amazing world, just an incredible world we live in. And yet it's diseased by your sin and my sin. Okay, And this is what Jesus came to deliver us from. So we wouldn't be under its power. Right? And then from death. He delivers us from death. And again, this is man's, really man's greatest mystery and man's greatest fear. Death. And he delivers us from the spiritual death that Adam brought through, you know, his sin brought spiritual death, right? Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, that affects you and me, came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. His salvation, secondly, delivers us from physical death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, just as it is appointed for man to die once. That's talking about your, when you breathe your last, your physical death. But then eternal death. Thirdly, through Jesus Christ, all who believe are saved now and delivered from the fear of death. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's what Brendan was talking about last week. Here's eternal life. He saved you from eternal death to give and promise eternal life. 
not only are people delivered from danger, but also, we also understand we are delivered to, unto safety. And this is the beautiful thing about salvation, the term and the concept. It's not just, oh, we're saved from danger. No, he takes us and he brings us to safety. It's about his refuge, right? His refuge is a fortress. His refuge, listen, his refuge is a hiding place, right? There you are safe. What does that song Rock of Ages say? Rock of Ages, what? Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I hide in Christ. If you're a believer, you are safe in the refuge, safe in the arms of Jesus. Okay? Psalm 46 verse 1 says it. He's a refuge for those who come to Him. Psalm 2 verse 2, you can jot that note down also, that reference. But also, not only His, his refuge, but His care. We're safe in His care. So Peter can say, take all your anxieties, all your burdens, and what? Cast them at His feet. Why? For He careth for you. Right? We're safe in His refuge. We're safe in His care. And praise God, we're safe in His family. 1 John chapter 3. Oh, beloved... Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children. And such we are. That's the emphasis in it. You're a child of God. Walk that way. Live that way. John chapter 1 verse 12. Right? For as many as believed in Him to them that received Him. Right? So, we're safe in His refuge, safe in His care, safe in His family. Then letter C, number two, letter C is we're saved from danger unto safety with full total coverage. I love that. Full total coverage. He's provided it. Listen, salvation is of the Lord. It's all of God. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. The salvation is of the Lord. It's clear. There's nothing else added in there. You can look up those other references uh, there in that under number under 2C. But what we want to get at, it, it, the fact that it's with total coverage is this. Three aspects of salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so... Obviously, I can't cover every little detail of each of these. But justification is... Um, what do we typically think of when we hear the word justification and you are trying to explain it to a, a younger person? You're saying, um, justification is... Like, uh, just as if I never sinned. Now, does that... How does that... How? How does that line up with Scripture? It's got some truth to it, but it doesn't cover the, the spectrum of justification. It's great to know, hey, just as if I'd never sinned, but that doesn't cover everything. Why? Because justification, better defined, more specifically defined, is God declares you what? 
righteous. God declares the sinner righteous, the guilty one righteous. Courtroom scene, right? Courtroom scene. And you're standing before the judge. And it's a whole nother realm, right? Because when you're in an actual courtroom, you, you, there's another level of respect that all of a sudden comes upon you. Why? Because you know that the judge can do what? Send you off for a sentence in prison, if, if that's the case, right? It's up to him. So there's a, a whole new realm and, and atmosphere of respect. And this is the God of the universe, his courtroom. And because of what Jesus did, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect death, a perfect life, by the way, a perfect life, no sin, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect death, and boom, He dies on the cross. Boom, He rises up from the grave. And this is proving that His sacrifice is acceptable. And now when you have faith, In Jesus Christ, God says, I declare you righteous. I declare you innocent of your crime. This is indicating, legally speaking, that Christ paid the penalty for that person. Because Jesus, as the advocate, steps in and comes alongside and says, I paid the price for this person. And this person has put faith in me. That's what Jesus is saying. So the person is saved based on that faith in Christ. A person is saved from, get this, it's from the penalty of sin. Some of you understand this, you, you get, but this is why. We need to go over it again for those that, that you understand. But this is critical that younger people understand. You're saved from the penalty of sin. Okay? And it's a done deal. There's nothing that has to be added to it by, oh, I better do this now, I better do that. Um, No, He did it. Okay? And God never, never cuts a corner and say, oh, you're just such a really good guy. I'll, I'll let you in. He doesn't cut a corner. He is perfect in His justice. And it's through Christ that now he looks and says, you're holy, you're blameless, you're forgiven. Justification. Then sanctification. So justification, God declares the guilty sinner righteous. Then sanctification, God transforms the believer into the image of Christ. Sanctification, God takes you into his workroom. And He begins His good work of salvation upon you. See, when I was first saved, I figured, well, I'm I'm forgiven now and that's all that really matters. But little did I know that the work of salvation started. The work of salvation is called sanctification. The process of... here's It's two things. Just like justification was dealing with, here's your pardon and here's a perfect righteousness. So here with sanctification is are two things. The idea of sanctification means to set apart or to make holy. God makes His children holy. Two areas, right? For holiness and for service. And my friend, that comes down to practice practical aspects now 
if your life is not showing a, a degree of holiness, what's wrong? That's God's work in your life. And service-wise, He set you apart for service. What's happening? Where, where are you serving? Where are you serving Him? But this is the, the, the work that He does. It's His good work. And sometimes we get confused with it. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought sanctification was something I'm supposed to do. Yes. You're involved in the process. But God is the author of it. God's the one that's done the work and doing the work. And He's the one that prompts to say, I, I need to turn from that sin. I need to stop saying those things and start walking in, in holiness and righteousness in my life, in my practice. Okay? His work, God's work in sanctification in His children is to transform you, shape and mold you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's a lifelong process. It doesn't stop after you've done your study and your seminar or your conference or your camp. It, do, it keeps going. The work of salvation keeps on happening in your life to turn you from sin and to turn you to holy living. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, Work out your salvation. There it is. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. It's given the, here's the, the cause of it. It's God at work in you. Do you feel God, do you sense God's work in you? Are you? So, there's a, a, another verse I want to mention. Yeah, obviously, uh, second, second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's something that's given to you to do. Grow in the grace and the knowledge. How do you do that? Okay? You better be reading, my friend. You better be in the Word. That's really one of the great ways that God does His work in your life. But then, mark this verse down. Isaiah 41.10. You say, what? Yeah, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 41.10. Listen to it. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. You gotta love that. And that's something that you, Christian, can grab and, and love and cherish. Why? It's God's work. It's God's work to mold you and shape you. And it's what's our part. Keep living in sin that grace might abound. May it never be. Don't carry on in sin. Stop it. Why? He saved you to be holy and to be of service to Him. And that's God's grace. That's why we sang about grace this morning. It's God's grace that helps you to step forward, like with DeLacy's announcement. Step forward and go serve. That's God's grace. You give God the glory for that, not say, hey, look at me. No, we don't do that. We say, Thank be, thanks be to God. Praise God for His grace in my life. And then, 
I know we, we haven't dug deeply in justification or sanctification. There's just, there's a lot there. Regarding justification, read in Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. Please, let it sink in. Sanctification is scattered all throughout the New Testament. Is it happening, my friend? Is it happening? And then finally, glorification. God changes the believer. We shall be saved from what? Okay, in the first one, justification, we're saved from the penalty of sin. Secondly, uh, sanctification, we're we're being saved from the power of sin. Some of you are still under the power of sin. Things are still going on in your life and you're, it's like, but you know what? Jesus is the victor and he's already unlocked the key, unlocked the chains. You don't have to do that. Okay? But then with glorification, we're saved from the very what? The very presence of sin. No more sin. No more tears. No more sorrow. We shall be changed, glorified bodies made like Jesus. First John chapter 3, verse 2. Now, we are children of God and what we shall be has not yet been made known or revealed. But we know that when He appears, what? We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Okay, now, we started with the very claim of Jesus. He's saying, I'm the one... Here I am. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes about his ministry life, demonstrating that he's God, going to the cross, dying there, willingly dying there, being buried and rising again. And thus, in that, now we have this perfect gift of salvation. And I close with this. My friend... The invitation is still open. The invitation is still there from God. Numerous, numerous passages are very clear. Come. Come unto me, all who are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said in John chapter 3, right? (laughs) For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that just the white people can be saved. Just the Jewish people can be saved. He said that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, God's not going to force you. He's not going to twist your arm. Uh, he might twist your arm figuratively speaking. But He's not going to force you. Now, listen very clearly here. On the other hand, you will have no excuse. You'll have no excuse before God. You can't say, well, hey, you know, I just, I wasn't one of the chosen ones. After all, I know that, you know, here's election and being predestined and all that jazz. 
You can't use that. The offer, the, the reason why is here's the offer. Here's the invitation. He's saying, come, come unto me. Why did Jesus come? All these verses pop up. Why he came. The Son of Man came to what? Seek and save that which was lost. That's what he's done. He's the good shepherd. What are you going to do? Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And listen, Christian, today is the day of salvation. That relates to you and I as a, as a believer. What are you going to do about that? Let's turn away from sin, right? That's the day of salvation here. It's, it's, it's the idea behind... Here's the idea of sanctification. Christian, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Not the good buddy spirit in us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. If we say we're a believer, we've put faith in Christ... Let's go by what the scriptures say. Let's not go with, with the familiarity stuff of, Christ, of churchianity. I, I used to say, yeah, I accepted Jesus into my heart. What does that mean? Especially, we've said it in the past, little children go like, what? How do you do that? No, let's go by what the Bible says. So guess what? Next week... Here's today, we talk about salvation. Next week, we're going to go after what the response is. Faith. So next week, we'll be on faith. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him. And some, some might say, well, that was written to the church, so you can't use it in an invitation. Hey, maybe some in that church were not saved. The point is, here's the invitation. It's not just there in Revelation 3.20, it's elsewhere. It's all over. You can hear the voice of God through the Scriptures saying, come, come unto me. Are you going to come to Jesus or are you going to reject Him? What will it be? You say, why is it that you're doing this in a church? Isn't everyone in church saved? No. No, not everyone in church is saved. And thus it's important that we cry out, here's the message. Let's grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And let's keep calling people to respond to the invitation that's still open. Come unto me, Jesus says. Won't you please do that today? Admit your sin. Admit your need. And call out to God. Let's please stand together for the closing Just bow your head, please, and uh, in a moment we'll pray. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time today. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that um, just don't let it go in one ear and out the other, but that we would dwell on these things and meditate on these things, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that in that there is total coverage of the justification declaration, the the sanctification process and the future hope of glorification. God, help us to be people that are just enthralled with you and lifting you up as we go through this day and through this week. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.